Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, I'd like to introduce you to an awesome guest, Jessica Lunsoff. She is a nurse turned digital entrepreneur. In this episode, we talk about the personal reasons why she started Tambu, what she learned along the way during this process, and why she stepped away from nursing. Jessica is an amazing person that is trying to make the system better. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I want to thank you for taking time and also (laughs) dealing with the technical difficulties today. So I appreciate that. Um, For those who don't know you, would you mind giving a little background about you, what you do? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me here today. And definitely, I know the struggles with technology. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually a nurse by trait. And uh, now I built a technology company, but my kids would laugh at me and say, why would you ever do such a thing, mom? You do not know how to use technology. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that gives you a little bit of a background. So yeah, I'm Jessica Lunsoff. I am uh, reside up here in, in Canada, but we have, uh, we have become uh, um, kind of a global partner uh, with some strategic partners in, in sales and such. But Basically, we're here to talk about a company that uh, I built called Tambus. And as I said before, I do have a nursing background. I worked as a nurse for multiple years in and out of emergency. I did long-term care, and I also did hospice and and palliative care uh, inside the home. So I saw a different array of of healthcare issues back in uh, 2008 when I quit that. And then ended up getting into working for uh, Sun Life Financial as a long-term care and specialist. And I was able there to sit around tables and understand the struggles of the seniors. And I became very, very passionate for seniors and, and you know, the um, inequalities they have and the, the, the rough times that they're having within their disease processes and not getting access to care. So then I kind of transitioned out of that and I got into property development. So I designed a dementia-friendly rural retirement community, really focused on those people in, in the rural areas that don't have, you know, all the graduations of aging, you know, the independent living and that they just basically go from their farmhouse to, uh, you know, a long-term care facility if they need it. So we looked at a um, different stages of aging community there. Uh, I sold that and then I became a caregiver. So ultimately, that's why I built Tambus and I, uh, the name is what does it, d- does its explanation. And um, everybody wonders, oh, well, why would you have named Tambus what you did? And it's actually because of my experience of being a caregiver for my mom and my grandma. And their names are what, uh, what, kind of makes up Tambus because my grandma's name was Tina Tamming and then my mom's name was Yvonne DeVoost. So I put their names together and it makes Tambus and that's kind of where we're at today. And uh, I know we're going to get into more of the reasons why, but uh, I think anybody that has a sick loved one or is a caregiver or is in the healthcare industry or basically has two feet and walks around understands all the struggles that are in the healthcare field these days. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a background, and yeah, I'd love to 
I would love to get into uh, Tamvoots and kind of why you built it and, you know, what what problems it's trying to solve. But you're absolutely right with about um, elderly people in, like, long-term care facilities. It's almost like, you know, when I work in the hospital, and I, I don't know if it's the same thing in Canada, when you're in the hospital, transitional care is almost non-existent. I mean, uh, I've been, I, I remember when I was in pharmacy school and people were talking about transitional care, like, it was just right around the corner, like, oh, we almost have it solved. and 12 years later still haven't have still have not solved it uh it's it seems like such an easy problem but it's so complex and uh maybe we can go into the reasons why those are complex and you know what your product is solving to help bridge those complexities mm -hmm. yeah definitely transition or you know post hospitalization moving back to the community and then also going from system to system as you know you know it's all basically built in, in different silos and nobody's communicating to each other. So the people that ultimately suffer are, you know, the patient and the caregivers and their families because they're just at their wits end not knowing what to do and totally stressed and, and unorganized. And I found that was very evident when I was caring for, for both of them. And uh, it was my mom had a very uh, aggressive form of multiple myeloma and she got diagnosed at a, quite a young but she seemed to be healthy age and it was very aggressive. So we were immediately seeking attention in um, the oncology unit at Grand River Hospital. And then we ended up having to go for stem cell transplant at a different hospital. We went to Toronto for clinical trials and then we did some travel medicine in Mexico. And what we really found was that none of these systems were talking to each other. We were the last ones to get the the, the information and we were the first ones that had to give it so it was like nobody was sharing it and then there was such a constant repetition of health information you know it's like what why do I, I need to tell my health history over and over and over again when there should just be this master system where that that can be exported very easily prior to a meeting so that the doctors physicians you name it, any health care practitioner, and for instance, yours, the pharmacist, can see that prior to get really close and deep into the root of the problem at that point in time. So um, that was one of the problems that I wanted to solve. So actually, our system does have a very efficient health profile that you fill out once and then you continue to, to uh, update constantly yourself or other professionals that are on your team or family members. And then as soon as you need to go to an appointment, you press export, you put the email address in, you put the link, or if they're actually united through Tamboos on the pro site, you can send it and they can review it prior to the meeting. And where I've seen this very effectively is in our home care agency. So, so working with our home care agencies, you know, um, prior to having that appointment, a senior of the you know age of 90 can send their health history before the meeting and then they're not having to explain it in an hour plus long conversation that's one of the features but i'm sure you may have questions about that one yeah no i mean i think anyone who's gone through a healthcare system with any sort of ailment and having to go to a specialist like that first that first meeting with the specialist is really important right because they're trying to get to know you and everything but they're asking but the majority of it is just spent on surface level questions and by the time you leave they really haven't answered the real questions you came to that specialist for, right? They, it's just information gathering, and I completely agree with you. It's really frustrating, not only from the patient side of it, also from the provider side, because 
it shouldn't be like that. We should have this information. And just because they come from a hospital that may not have Epic or Cerner or Meditech, whatever, whatever you're using, it shouldn't stop us. And then, well, then people are like, oh, well, you know, you can just call medical records and get them faxed over. If anyone's ever looked at those faxes that come over, you will know real quick as to why they're not helpful at all. <laughs> so true. Um, true. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just frustrating. And again, it's one of those things that seems so simple, but people still do not. We still don't have a good process for it. And actually, when I was when I had my own startup, I was trying to kind of build something similar to you. But you obviously are way farther than I am, so that's why um, I'm very interested in talking to you about your product. So we got transition of care in terms of like medical history. What other um, things um, do you guys provide? Yeah, the one feature that we are seeing many people use and it's becoming uh, quite a useful tool for the patient and the caregiver is our journaling feature. So like free text to be able to share back and forth as to, you know, uh, we launched in an oncology unit. So prior to the... Uh, the appointments, the patients that are dealing with cancer are able to send the oncologist how they're feeling, you know, what they, what they, you know, after chemo treatment, what was going on, because a lot of times you, you find that you end up going for an appointment a month later, you don't remember that, right? So uh, you miss key, key elements. And it's also vice versa that that's why we're integrating with Cerner and Point Click Care and um, Epic is because you have to look at somebody's health education. What What is that patient actually taking back with them from that appointment? And what are they actually doing when they're at home? So it's a correlation to see, you know, if the doctor's saying one thing, what's that patient actually doing when they're at home? So you can kind of see the connections between the two. So our journal feature is very effective and efficient, and you can share it with team members, but you can also export all those records uh, very seamlessly to another healthcare provider that may not be on TAMUS, and uh, you can do that securely. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And then, and again, you touched on something, and I think that the, what you're saying kind of proves the point that why people in healthcare need to be part of health tech startups because all the nuances that you just mentioned, right? Like the journaling feature, like if some, if somebody said that, like what you mentioned is so common. Like my whole career has been spent in oncology and. There's a lot of um, complicated names and things that are being thrown around, and there's a lot of side effects associated with that, right? And when they're gone from the infusion clinic or when they're gone from our clinic, unless we reach out to them or something, you know, and clinics are really busy, we won't know. And then it's come many times where a patient will come and, and they'll be like, oh, um, you know, to your point, like you'll ask them something. And they just won't remember. So, I mean, that journaling feature, I mean, it seems very trivial, but I can see it being such a great um, asset for not only the patient, but also the providers, because then we can kind of follow their journey with them. Absolutely. We've also seen it uh, in the home care business. So we have a sister company called Tam Care Home Health, which is powered by Tamboos. And the evidence that we see with our clients, we're growing very quickly and to be able to update the family of the PSWs going in and what they're doing or, you know, the nurses and that, and just to keep them in the loop, but ultimately also keep all of our uh, healthcare practitioners on the same page, knowing every single detail, you know, we're really about health promotion and prevention. So 
I always say these are the key factors. You know, you look at vital signs, you look at blood work, you look at fluid intake. Like, what are those top things that can be uh, averted in a crisis? And when we're closely monitoring that, we can see when they cross that line. And that's another feature that we have, which is vital sign tracking. Uh, we also have uh, blood work, uh, labs, and so forth. And when my mom was quite sick, uh, I was able to basically follow the blood work through graphs and see trends within her proteins and see that the cancer was returning before the oncologist was. So it's it's uh, it's pretty neat what you can do with the system if if you want to. I know not all people are wanting to do that, but it, it, there is more and more out there that want to really follow their health. And I think that, I mean, first of all, that's amazing. Uh, second of all, I think that I was having a conversation with somebody and I was talking about how we need to kind of shift the paradigm of healthcare to giving patients ownership of it. And I think a lot more patients will take, would take ownership of it if they were presented with the proper data and a seamless user interface, right? Like, you don't, giving them, like, you know, for, in terms of labs, right? You're getting it in the app right and it's coming through versus calling up and seeing because that's a huge barrier versus just tapping something on your phone and i think that there would be more if we can create more things like this and then patients will take ownership of their own healthcare. and i think that we would just see an overall benefit to both sides right patients will get healthier because you know people's when it, you know there's a lot of studies that show like if you're if you're seeing the numbers and you know what they mean they're going to improve right uh, with like weight loss and stuff like so i think that I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but I, I mean, I think I think going back to, you know, it, it only helps kind of having patients take ownership, especially with a disease like cancer, where it's so personal um, mm -hmm. and it's scary, you know, like, and you're not knowing what it is, what's going on, you know, having some sort of information, I think, at least from when my experience, patients find some comfort in that. Absolutely. I mean, watching my mom even, you know, in her last days, which was so unfortunate when we took her home, uh, we allowed her to pass away at home with me. And uh, even to the last days, I mean, the, the home care agency PSWs are coming in and asking her a health history. And it was, for me, disheartening. I'm like, I am a burnt out caregiver, you know, watching my mom die in my living room. And we want to make it a more positive experience, but you got all these people trying to come in and repeat that story. It's like, why can't you have that iPad there? Do your own research and go and hold her hand or, or do something like that. So um, I, I think cancer, for one, is a particularly tough disease. And you can see that there's a lot of strain on somebody's mental well-being when they have to, you know, have the inefficiencies that are created. I think we'd see a lot more um, maybe remission stay in remission when it's not constantly on their brain or having to relive all their bad events. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to hear about that. I think that, yeah, I mean, especially when you're going through that, the last thing you want to do is, you know, talk about their last surgery, you know, like filling out that stupid form over and over again. But I mean, and we can kind of touch on this too, you know, the caregiver side of it. I think that's one side that a lot of people forget about. You know, we have the patient going through the treatment, but, you know, the people taking them to the to the treatments, taking care of them, the stress of, because usually a lot of times the caregivers are the ones making the appointments and scheduling everything around their work. Um, and it gets really, I think, the, I mean, caregivers are forgotten a lot of, and like and things like this are helpful for them too, because it keeps them in the loop. They don't have to constantly be chasing around people, trying to get doc doctors to call them back. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know what, is, was care, were caregivers on your mind? You know, you were, you came from the caregiver side. 
you came from the nursing side as well. Was that kind of on your mind when you were creating this product as well? Oh yeah, 100%. Like I was the caregiver and I saw the effect it had on me in my um, career. You know, I was always going to every appointment, being the go-to person. I think my, my actual business dropped to like, you know, 30% of what I was doing before because mm-hmm. it was so time consuming. And then, then you go into the guilt when you do have to pick your work or your kids over that because you're the primary caregiver. And then you're like, oh, I need to be there with my mom. And, you know, she can't live without me because I, you know, so is it as, as this tool wasn't built when I was going through this, I would have really benefited from it as a caregiver. And that's what we try to focus all our businesses on, especially the home care one, is that we're not just here to help the patient. We need to keep the caregivers healthy as well so what tools can we give them to keep them healthy uh, in order to provide the best care to their loved one yeah no i love that and yeah i mean again uh, i think caregivers are so often forgotten and it's really a tragedy on honestly because they're i mean there are some startups and um initiatives being done for a caregiver like mental health stuff and um just continuity of care but uh, there's not enough that's being done um, that's for sure so it's great to see um people like you kind of jumping in. So what kind of market are you targeting? Are you targeting like hospitals, transition of care, nursing homes, long-term care facilities, kind of all of the above? Yeah, I mean, our professional side of the platform, which is a place that they can use as a client management tool and effectively share with their patient back and forth, like the journal and the health profile and so forth, is being launched in hospitals, um, as well as you and I both know with RPH Ally, we're launching it with pharmacists and uh, United States to start. That's where they can, you know, you know, I, I see the trend that pharmacy is, is going and I love it. I think drugs have so much to do with uh, a patient's entire holistic health plan. And I think it was segmented for so long, but to bring them into seeing the whole picture and being able to assess it and to use our system to be able to see, you know, this is their health history. This is what's been going on with their journal entries and so forth would be very valuable. So I think we've got a great market with pharmacy uh, and with that group. We also are uh, launching with long-term cares. Like I said, we do have an integration with point-click care, which is one of the largest EMRs for long-term care facilities. So, you know, your loved one's in long-term care. Nobody's getting that information as to what's going on. But if you were the POA, then you can have an understanding and which effectively would help long-term care facilities because then you wouldn't have to be repeating it when that family member calls in. How did mom eat today? How has mom lost weight? It's just not the next thing, right? So, that integration was important to me. Uh, so there's multiple different markets, even smaller markets, you know, natural paths or, uh, you know, health coaches, healthcare advocates. It's, it's really a basic tool which could be used in multiple different ways. Awesome. So let's say, um, you know, what's the best way of, uh, what's the best way of like reaching out to you guys and getting the process started? Like, well, how, I guess I should say, what do I need to do to get the process started for me to start using it from the professional side? Yeah, there's a couple of ways. If you're if you're a pharmacy, then you go through the RPHLI website, and then you can log in through there, and you can sign up as a professional, and you can start using it with your patients. You can also uh, globally go on to the Tanvis website and go to the professional and register. We'll get an email to say, uh, based on the size of your of your association or your organization, 
we'll approve it and then we'll take you through you know the steps of onboarding and so forth if you're just a regular patient or client that wants to use it uh, then you can go on and create a free account and start managing the most um, simplest parts of your health which are journaling you can manage your health profile you can build it and you can always have that accessible that you can actually export that in an email so you build it once you just press boom doctor you got it um, so it might be tedious to fill out that one time but you'll you'll have it for the rest of your life and you can be building on it um, like think about all the immunizations everybody asked me you know uh, I don't know when I last had my tetanus. Well, if you had documented it somewhere in something like this, you would have had access to it, right? So those are just some of the ways, but uh, you can go to the contact page, www.tanvoos, uh, and, and check it out. We'd love to hear from you. That's awesome. Yeah, no. Um, and then you said you guys are integrated with certain EMRs? Yeah, so we are integrated with Point Click Care right now, and we are working on an integration it's really facility-based right now, but okay. with Cerner. And then uh, we have an Apple Health integration as well. If you wear an Apple Watch, you can get your heart rate and so forth in there. Uh, but we built an un umbrella integration system that we can seamlessly hook up to different APIs now after a long build. So we can connect to multiple different uh, systems at this point in time. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, that's awesome. And I think I agree with you. Like the, Initially, it's the, the first... It's kind of like ripping off the bandaid, right? Initially, it's <laughs> you don't want to do it, but once you do it, uh, you're glad you you, you did that because filling out those forms and giving your history every single time is just a frustrating endeavor. But I do want to touch on something you in your past before Tamus. You said that you created a um, a, it was it wasn't a city, but like a living space for people with dementia. Yeah. So uh, I purchased land from a hospital. Uh, or the healthcare system here up in Ontario, right beside a hospital up in Seaforth, Ontario. And uh, I took a, a cornfield to to basically uh, a fully approved site plan of um, a retirement home and a dementia and Alzheimer's unit. We designed it all and also a palliative care unit. So it's it was basically taking the hospital system where it was and if you needed to go to all the different stages of aging, you could um, basically do that all in one site as opposed to having to move to different locations. Very interesting. So were there specific things you needed to build, like when you were building it out, like specific um, things you need to take into account for the patient population? Oh, yeah. I mean, we had designed a, a 50 diner. You know, you think about people, anybody with Alzheimer's or dementia, the playground we designed was all for sand play. We did so much research on on what would have the psychosocial aspects of dementia and Alzheimer's, which are so important to training, not just the, the staff member that is going to have direct care, but, you know, that maintenance person that needs to change the light bulb needs to be trained how to deal with these people, uh, these people, I mean, these these people that are sick with Alzheimer's and dementia, and there's not one that is the same as the other. So uh, we definitely put some really neat things into place and uh, designs based on, on that disease. What was like the most, I mean, I'm just honestly really interested in this, uh, but what was like the most, uh, I guess, interesting design or something that you guys came across where you're like, well, we didn't expect that? Or was it all of it? I think it was all of it. I mean, um, so I sold it before it came to quite fruition. Um, 
but I think the design of it with the the playgrounds and then ultimately designing uh, the Alzheimer's unit that it didn't have walls and that they're, you know, people with Alzheimer's dementia like to pace a lot and they get lost and to design it in a circle that they can see, you know, and then that central place. You're seeing a lot of retirement communities go into that. So there's less hallways and more congregating spaces. Uh, just a lot of really key things. Like I suffered myself a concussion, a pretty severe one from playing high level soccer in 2008. And I know for a while, you know, gaining my, my cognition back and what really made me struggle. So I sort of lived from experience. And then when I started doing the research too, it was very evident that a lot of people with Alzheimer's dementia are in the, in, in the same boat. And then through my growth and, and brain and rebuilding of it, I really think, and what we're seeing with some of our home care patients is you're seeing them have a, in the research showing that if you use your mind, it does, does get better. So a lot of times we're just encouraging some of these patients to be reading or doing um, exercises or doing math, just, just keeping that brain going as opposed to when I worked long-term care years ago, I mean, they were in restraints and in padded rooms, which is inhumane. And obviously, I wanted to make a change with that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, thank you for doing that kind of stuff, because I think that, you know, it's it's a really difficult time for patient, you know, for people, for most people, at least, uh, sending their family member or loved one. Um, it's not an easy decision that people have to make, like they can't take care of them anymore. So it's it's good to know that, you know, there are people out out like you, they're trying to, you know, ease that transition. Um, that's, that's, inter that's fascinating to me. That's, that's, that's cool. Um, I also wanted to talk about maybe like the startup and, you know, what were some trials and tribulations from when you were starting? I'm sure you have a lot, but, uh, kind of wanted to discuss like, you know, getting the, going from idea to product. Oh, there has been some trials and tribulations, that's for, for sure, in, in any business that I've done. I mean, even the one we were just speaking about, it's a lot of learning and growth. And I think the, the story is you can't really succeed unless you fail a bunch, right? So um, every little um, success inside, you know, what you learn from is the success, not necessarily the overall success. But what I found with this startup with Tanvoose initially is that uh, it was right before COVID, which was difficult because everybody went to remote and it was uh, kind of a different era for, you know, getting traction and so forth because you couldn't be out on the road selling. Um, also, you are a startup, so you have young staff because, you know, we work a lot with co-op students and government funding programs and um, it was great, but it's, they were going through a lot at that same time, right? A lot of stress and a lot of, of stuff. So I'm, I'm thankful for the support that we got during it, you know, the government supports and so forth uh, to steadfast that we could do it. Uh, and then what I also found was that uh, it, you know, later on, the, the, the raising got a little bit more difficult based on people pulling back on their attractions for investments and so forth. So I think it was the right time to get into the digital health market, uh, but it, it was just a very competitive market now and it's, it's uh, pretty saturated. But I think so, like you said at the beginning with the, the story and the nursing background and the healthcare knowledge, I think that sets us apart from um, maybe some of the other ones that are there because it, I don't think it's 
I wouldn't say it's rocket science what we're doing, but we're pulling together very key pieces to um, really advocate for a patient or a caregiver. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you look at all the solutions that ever existed, they're ne never rocket science, right? Like, look at Amazon, two-day delivery, like, it doesn't, it's just all about execution in the end, right? And I think that, you know, just you talking, like, the little nuances that exist in healthcare are the things that people like you bring, can let know and you can kind of navigate those nuances versus somebody who ha has not worked on the patient care side or never has talked to a caregiver that's, you know, taking their mom or dad to cancer treatments and stuff. Like, they've never looked at them in the eyes and seen, like, the, the pain and the suffering. I think it's much different uh, when people like you are in it versus others, you know. Like, going back to the journaling thing, like, it's a simple idea, but it makes a lot of sense. But, yeah. I love it. I mean, I, I built a lot of my life on journaling on paper, and now I do it, you know, in the in technology. But uh, journaling is very important for anything, whether you're starting a business, whether you're taking care of your health, whether you're in mental health, whatever. It's good to write things down. So, like, what advice do you have for people that are trying to get into the health tech startup space? I would say don't... <laughs> Okay, so this is a tough one because if you're if you're talking from the investor world, then they want you to grow. They want you to just go to the next round, like go, 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 go. But if you really, you know, want to make sure your ideas and visions stay steadfast, then I would say don't grow too fast. And in the, I mean, grow like your team. Like you need the right resources. But as soon as what I see too often is starts as soon as you get some fi financing you hire so many people and then you just lose control. There's got to be that fine balance between, you know, uh, getting investment in or, or money in and really strategizing where you need to fill the gaps and then fill them and assess them at, at multiple times in, in your uh, growth. And then the next thing I would say with uh, development, tech development, like, I think what I did too often was I went and I ran in a direction and built something out, not knowing the cost of it because I really didn't actually know. And then, you know, really was it a wise move because we did, was there a customer market for it? Was there a need for it? Like maybe the timing's not right and so forth. So really evaluate the growth of your team and resources you spend and also the, the development work that you do. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I mean, we saw it, unfortunately, uh, you know, this last six months with all these health tech startups that grew at a rapid pace, but you know, ended up laying off uh, a good size of their employees, right? Um, which sucks. But I think another thing when you get funding is you're, you know, one thing they say, like, if you're getting funding, you need to have a way to spend it. So I think sometimes people fall into that trap of, oh, I have all this money, I need to spend it, versus I should spend it like thoughtfully, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's also that part of it too. Like when you're going into funding rounds and stuff, like have a plan of what you're going to spend it on and why you're going to spend it on versus, okay, we'll get this money and then we'll figure it out later. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly it. So, but yeah, I mean, so, so you say, you, it's, so what are the differences in the healthcare system that you're noticing from Canada versus the United States outside of obviously private versus government? Uh, well, that's the major one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, uh, I guess the, the Canadians mentality and I believe they, 
they just believe that things are going to be covered for them, which is public and private. But uh, it, it causes that misconception that their their doctor knows best and physicians are great, but a physician can only do so much, right? So there's just not that, I guess, drive. And you can let me know if that is more prevalent in the States that patients or clients want to take more control of their health and maybe it's not, but I just feel like a lot of people believe that, you know, the healthcare professionals are going to be that one-stop shop for them to manage their health information, but definitely is not the case uh, in Canada. Um, the other thing is the, I, I guess the, this, I think the siloing, you know, like the the pharmacists and then the the laboratories, they're they're just so regulated up here. But I think that there's the inability to, uh, you know, I'll tell you a story, and that's just because it's a it's kind of been a an annoyance for me this week. So I had a little spot on on my nose, and uh, about two years ago, I had to go and talk to my family doctor to get a referral to a dermatologist to get a referral to a pharmacist to get a little cream. Okay. This cream, the dermatologist like, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. You know, it's like, you know, just put this cream on. Right. So I did that and I called my family doctor, to, you know, two years later and I said, well, I, you know, the dermatologist wasn't worried. It hasn't changed very much. Can you just call the pharmacy and can I get another tube of cream? You're like, no, you have to come in. And I'm like, what? And then I called the dermatologist and I asked them and they're like, well, no, you have to go to your family doctor to get a referral to go see the dermatologist. Go to, and I'm like, I'm a busy woman. Like, you think I can go to three different appointments just to get this tube of cream, which uh, is one thing I really liked about traveling to Mexico is you can, you know, advocate for yourself. You can go and pay for it. And it's just Canada, we're not able to do that type of stuff because it's very regulated, which has its goods and its bads. But I think we need to... Um, we need to see a little bit of a change and uh, I don't like to get into the private and the public, but the the public can't sustain what's going on right now. And it's just creating more inefficiencies in the patients and the caregivers lives. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, to answer your question about patients taking control their healthcare in North America, uh, in my experience, no, I think the younger generation is starting to get more involved in their own personal healthcare because, you know, they, I mean, even us, the millennials at some some instance like we grew up in an environment where everything is connected and we expect things to be shared back and forth versus healthcare doesn't do that uh but like the older <laughs> older population and stuff i think they still have that and it's not a, i'm not saying it's a bad or a good or bad mentality it's just that's how they grew up right the doctor's always right which i mean coming from the healthcare side i mean it's, it's nice that they trust us that much but i mean i think that there are times where patients need to advocate for themselves and they don't sometimes and you know mm -hmm. i've told this story a couple of times um like i've written about it but you know i've working in cancer oncology specifically and i don't know maybe you can tell me if you guys if you experience the same thing but uh we tell our patients i can't tell you how many times a, a patient would come back for treatment and they'd be like oh i was experiencing this rash or i was experiencing this this or this right or i was throwing up like 10 times or i had diarrhea like 15 times but and then you're like well why didn't you call us oh i didn't want to bother you guys and i'm sitting there thinking like first of all i'm like um you're not bothering us like we're here i, mean, I literally tell them like that's my job to take care of you 
Yeah, but then it also made me sad because why are they thinking that way? What is yeah. it about our system that is making patients feel that? And um, I don't know, it just makes me sad when I think about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it happens up here too. I just, and my mother-in-law just ended up in two months in the hospital. And when I brought her in the first day to the eMERGE, uh, a nurse practitioner looked at her and said, it basically told, looked at her and said, you know, you're old and you're going to be in pain and, you know, you're just going to have to live with it. Meanwhile, within 10 days, she's in spinal surgery. She, you know, and it was just like, why? But that's where, that's where they get it from is, is those comments, right? Of not really having that compassionate care and just being like, go home and deal with it. Yeah. I mean, for sure. That's definitely there. Like either they've heard it once in a while or also, you know, like it's that they want to show strength, right? And then, you know, that's a whole another debate of what true strength is versus, you know, what we perceive as strength. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it, it still bums me out that patients still think that way. But again, the younger patients uh, that are coming through don't have that same mentality, which is good and bad. Because you, I mean, kind of like your point with Canada, right? It's good to not have healthcare paid for, but the system is getting, but like, you know, with when you, you can have patients that almost overburden your staff a little bit, right? Like they'll call about every little thing. And then you have patients that don't do anything. Like there's very few that kind of fall in the middle. Where in they the middle. <laughs> and uh, we just need to kind of bring everyone down to the middle. And I'm not saying this, if anyone's a patient, got an issue, always call your doctor. It's always better to just get a get to know. But sometimes we get calls and we're like, you know, it's, it's not even like our, it's not even something that we can even take care of, right? And then you're kind of like, no. and it's a position like, okay, now I know this is happening and I can't just like let it go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. Mm-hmm. So in your uh, your time as a nurse, uh, what was it? You, you said you what, majority of your time was spent in long-term care, correct? Oh, no. I uh, I graduated in 2006, and I wanted to get right into emergency department. Oh. And I thoroughly love the trauma and all that. And I love critical thinking. I just feel um, that's one of my strengths, and, and I enjoyed it and moved up in the different emergency departments I worked at, but it was really disheartening even back then. Like I'm sure you've seen this in hospital, but I think I witnessed some of my first senior patients dying in hallways of emergency departments because there was no beds available. And they were just like, you know, it was just awful to see. And and I would say 80% of people coming into emerge they're not an emergency. They just don't have anywhere else to go. So I felt like I you know, was constantly stressed out. And I started working in some of the, the Toronto emergency departments. And same thing. It was just like, I can't, I can't help this right now. Like, I felt really um, like it wasn't my position to be there. I loved it, but I couldn't do it. So then I tried home care nursing. So that was for a palliative care team going in through the government into people's homes and providing service that I quit, I think two days after I started, I went into one home and there was this 50 year old man that was, you know, dying alone at home. And I had eight other patients to see that day. So I could spend hardly any time with him. And I was like, I don't want to leave. Like, I just want to stay and sit with him. And (laughs) I couldn't do that anymore either. So yeah, there's a lot of things in nursing I loved, but there's a lot of things that were frustrating based on the quickness and the inefficiencies and you know, the undignified care that I had to give in order to help. Yeah, quote unquote help. And 
Yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think that I think most people that get into healthcare have a lot of compassion. Obviously, you have to. You know, you're dealing with other people. You're dealing with other people's problems. You have to be very. You have to think outside of yourself. But I mean, the more I talk to people around the world, I you know, you notice the same issues happening everywhere. Like you know, like I thought it was just like our problem, right? It was just us, and no, and you know, everything else. No, it's the same thing everywhere. Like everyone is overburdened. We're not allowed. I shouldn't say allowed to, but. I mean, I guess it is in a sense allowed to because it's, everything's based off of metrics, right? Oh, how many people did you see or how many this did you do or X, Y, and Z, right? And it doesn't give us the time to actually take care of patients. I feel like <clears throat> healthcare is basically now a conveyor belt. Like we're basically McDonald's and, you know, we all have our job. Somebody puts on the lettuce and puts on the cheese, mustard, whatever, and then we just get them out the door. And then, and you know, I, I, I kind of had this like really... I don't want to turn this into a sad thing, but I had this realization when I saw one of our patients come in for DKA, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, for those who don't know, it's when uh, diabetics uh, have uncontrolled blood sugar, so they basically can pass out, go into a coma, and uh, can die in worst, worst case scenario. And we have this patient come in, this is like the eighth time they've come in in like three months for the same thing, DKA. And a couple of times, for three weeks, they... They left they, because every time they came in with DK, they would come to the emergency room, then they would go to the ICU, take an ICU bed, and then from there, they would go up to the floor, leave, and maybe a couple of days later, come back for the same thing. And yeah. you would read in the chart, oh, a patient didn't pick up insulin because they didn't have a script or didn't think they have a script, and then the doctor's saying, script was sent. Everyone's, you know, covering their rear end, right? And you can mm -hmm. see, but it's just like, how, are we really helping these people or are we just... You know, it, 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 those are the kind of things that keep me up at night and make me really sad. And that's one of the things I like about, it's one of the things that gravitates me towards digital health is that ability to be able to help at scale versus just one-on-one. -on -one. Like, you know, you were just mentioning, we're only one person and we can only help one person at a time. And even that one person, can, we can't really truly help the way we want to help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard that today, or, you know, in one of your other podcasts is, you know, to, to, to help in larger scale. And I think ultimately you just nailed it on the head was when I was nursing it. it I knew I had to do something different. Right. And, um, I loved nursing, but it, it was making me not healthy to nurse in that type of way. So I had to think outside the box a little bit more and, and through my experience, build some different companies and, and hopefully, you know, I see the benefit of them financially, but uh, hopefully see the ultimate benefit from what the experiences of my clientele are getting. Yeah, no, for sure. But uh, yeah, no, Tamboos is a great product. Um, you know, we kind of touched, we didn't really, you know, you are launching it through RPHL. You're doing a partnership with RPHL for pharmacists. Uh, maybe we could touch on like, like you know, as a pharmacist, how this specific tool can help pharmacists. You know, well, I'm a, I'm a pharmacist, so, but yeah, we, maybe we could touch on how, like, you know, having a tool like this can help us. Yeah, so uh, the tool would definitely help pharmacists in the fact that you, there's a spot exactly for the entire list of medication, and uh, that could be uploaded or scanned. And then what you can see is all your patients' list of medication, but also on your pro site, you can see uh, they can share health history with you, they can share documentation, they can share blood work results, they can share... Uh, journal entries. So, you know, along with the medication, the pharmacist can have that very secure location to see all of the information on that patient. And then ultimately that pharmacist, pharmacist can share that information 
or their suggestions with the patient through that secure online transfer. And then the patient has that in their profile. So what you're going to really see as a pharmacist, they, the patients are seeing the value of it and wanting to work with you because you're looking at them as a whole person and being able to um, share that valuable information with them. So. Yeah, and nowadays data is king, right? That's going to be the new currency nowadays. And yeah. um, it's not even, and it's just, like I said, we kind of touched on it before, like having a pre-flow of data back and forth is only good. I mean, I never, I don't think you can have too much data. You can have too much things on a screen, but I don't think you can have too much data, right? It's all about showing them what they need at the right time. Uh, but yeah, you could, for me, you can never have too much data. The more data, the better, because if you can't use it right now, you can use it later. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's amazing, and that's I mean that and that's a workflow that can really work anywhere, not just pharmacy, right? You know, we kind of touched on it, doctors, hospitals, really every every place in healthcare are basically the same thing. We just treat different patients and we work in different areas, but the general workflow is basically the same everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so what is the best place for people to reach out to you if they have any questions? I mean, they can go through the website. There's a, a chat on there, www.tanvis.com. And then you could also, uh, you know, follow us on LinkedIn, which would be great. We love our LinkedIn presence right now. We're posting a lot of new features all the time. We are on Instagram and uh, Facebook also. But I would say go to the website, reaching out, or, you know, you could always email me at jess at tanboost.com as well if you want to learn more about it, whether you be, you know, a pharmacist or a partner or have an idea or have a lived experience you want to talk about, then I'd be happy to chat with you. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll have all those linked down below so everyone can have easy access to it. But uh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story and. Um, you know, being so kind with your time. I really appreciate it a lot. Absolutely, Zane. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to chatting soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much.